You may be seated. Good morning. And it is uh, such a joy for me to be able to be here today and, and see I'm, uh, I'm Dale, I'm one of the elders, and uh, have the privilege of opening up the God's Word with you today. And, it, and before I do that, however, uh, I just want to encourage you again. Uh, you know, in the Bible, we're admonished and encouraged to never stop meeting together. And, you know, there's something about the coming together and, and for me, being able to see people's faces and interact, uh, that's so encouraging and so helpful. And so thank you for being here for each other in that purpose. Uh, also appreciated Reed's reminder about the, the congregational meeting that's coming up. Uh, the elders have been working with the staff to try to develop a budget for next year, for 2023. Uh, focused on serving the ministry needs uh, of Salem and in the community around us, and it's always exciting to do that. And uh, there's also the reality that it seems like every year, and this year is going to be no different, uh, to start 2023 strong, we need to finish 2022 strong in terms of resources. And so uh, we'll be, uh, you'll be receiving, if you're a member, you'll be receiving a draft copy of the budget here in the next day or two to look at before we start. And, uh, you know, we tried to identify that need as well. So I would encourage you to prayerfully consider what you might do, what God might have you do uh, in order to help us finish strong in 2022. So uh, with that, however, we, we have the joy of digging into the Bible this morning from Acts chapter 8. And we're going to start in just a few minutes from verse 26, if you want to open your Bibles or your Bible apps. But as a, as a start, one of the things uh, that so often happens in today's world is people are put into groups. And they might be large groups, might be small groups, but you know, people are grouped. And it's easy to think about groups. But your perspective changes when you begin to look at individuals. Your perspective changes when you look at the individual, not just the group. And, uh, you know, for me, one of those times was back now a number of years ago, but we were a young married couple, and uh, I promised Marsha that I wouldn't tell any stories about her this morning. But it's a story about my son, of whom she's the mother. Uh, so, <laughs> having said that, but nevertheless, uh, it was back, uh, obviously, a number of years ago, and we were expecting our first child. And as a guy in particular, not to typecast guys, but up to that point, you know, you'd look at babies and you'd see groups of babies and go, yeah, whatever. They're kind of cute, sort of. Um, and, you know, even when we took a tour at a hospital and you saw these babies in the nursery and you go, oh, what time's the game start? Uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was okay. Not that we disliked, you know, our, I like babies. They were, they were kind of fun. I grew up in a home, uh, you know, where we had babies in our household. And, and, you know, they're cool. But it was no big deal. They were just out there. 
until they put Brian in my arms. Father's Day, 1985. All of a sudden, when I'm looking at one baby, my perspective changed. I wanted everything for that baby. I wanted to be able to care for it, nurture it, develop it, give it everything it's needed, uh, became protective. Uh, it was a, uh, just a few days later that my mom came to visit us, you know, came to see the new grandchild. And uh, I'm standing there, and, and uh, it's time for him to be fed. And so we get the bottle out, and my mom uh, is you know, going to hold him and feed him. And she starts to do that, and I'm going, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> That's not the way he likes to be fed. Uh, and, and I was ready to intervene. You know, isn't that crazy? You know, in addition to raising her own children, you know, she was a foster parent, probably had raised like 300 kids, or 100 kids, literally 100 kids, and she probably knew how to feed a bottle. But it was different because it was Brian, and it was an individual. You know, as we look at the people in the world around us today, it is so easy for us just to think about them as groups, you know, other than maybe our immediate family. But as, you know, they're groups, they're out there. And, uh, you know, groups of students, groups of coworkers, groups of whatever. And for that matter, particularly when uh, we begin to think about people who don't know Jesus, we can look at them as groups of people that don't know Jesus. And while that's true, the perspective changes when you look at individuals. And even back in the day that uh, is being written about in Acts, you know, the, the vast majority of the people in the world, uh, not only in Israel and Jerusalem, but in the world, obviously didn't know Jesus. And it would be easy to talk about all of them. And the, the ones that did were a very small minority. And today, you know, we look at different groups or, you know, we hear surveys. Uh, you know, for instance, there's surveys out now that talk about the majority, the significant majority of some of the younger adults when listing their spiritual or their Christian, if you will, perspective would indicate non, N-O-N-E, none. And so we might easily group them as saying, well, that, that's a bunch of people that don't care about Jesus. Or, for that matter, we might look at a, you know, at a group of Muslims or something and say, well, they don't care about Jesus. Or, for that matter, we might even look at our neighbors and you know, we see them as we're driving to church on Sunday morning and you know, they're out doing everything else uh, but go to church and say, Man, you know, there's a group of people that don't know and don't really care about Jesus. We're surrounded by people today that don't know Jesus. And we find them in our co-workers. You know, there's a good opportunity, and for most of us anyway, in our work sites, that we, there's a lot of people that we interact with every day that don't know Jesus 
Or for that matter, if you are you know, talking about the neighbor, maybe the reality it is that many of our neighbors, most of our neighbors, don't know about Jesus. Or maybe don't even appear to care, at least from our view. Or it might be other people in clubs and organizations we belong to. It might be fellow students. It might be teachers and professors. It might be in a variety of settings, sometimes even in extended families, that people are looking around and go, you know, I'm surrounded by groups of people who don't know about Jesus. And that's true. But your perspective changes when you begin to look and think about individuals. And as we are ready to open, you know, this passage this morning in that picture of me and my perspective about babies changing dramatically when I was the father looking at that child. It's good for us to remember that as we look at all of these people in the world around us today, their father, God, loves them deeply. He wants the best for them. He cares deeply for them. But they need to hear about Jesus. And so uh, we're going to take a look at one of those encounters, not about a group of people, but an individual, and actually two specific individuals. And so uh, as we dig into chapter 8, we begin with verse 20. Six, we find that the first individual that we're going to focus on is this man that's on a journey home from Jerusalem. And so let's take a look and, and see what we can learn about him, and in some cases surmise about him as well based on that. And the first thing that we find is that he is from Ethiopia. And this would have been a land to the south, and you know, probably, uh, certainly would not have been a place where there is a lot of Jewish perspective or Israeli perspective, and certainly not about Jesus. So he was coming from that background, and you know that would be accurate uh, as a description about him. We also find that as we dig into this passage, that it says that he is an important official in charge of the treasury for the queen. So he had a very important responsibility. He was a high-ranking government person, if you will, for you and me, we might think about individuals like, you know, maybe even serving in the president's cabinet or, you know, part of the mayor's office or part of the state government or other various important people that might come to mind in our lives. But, you know, he was certainly one that would have had a lot of responsibility and a lot of importance, particularly back home. Because of his role he likely had significant wealth and resources. Probably had a really nice chariot. All the latest features and, and everything that would be with that. And, you know, and, and the ability to travel, to make a trip, probably 200 miles up to Jerusalem, the capacity to do that. And as we look at him from the outside, which you and I have the benefit of as we open up the scriptures this morning, we realize that from an outsider perspective, for the people around him, number one, he would have looked like a guy who had a lot going for him. Important position, wealthy, 
etc., etc. Also, uh, we would surmise, if we were not careful and didn't know anything about him, this was likely a guy that may not have been that interested in Jesus if we just encountered him on the road, you know, Ethiopian, etc. And so it is that we are surrounded by people that we often don't know very much about other than assumptions we make about what we see externally. Jobs they hold, ages they have, the kind of houses they live in, you know, maybe the clubs or organizations that they belong to, whatever it might be, it is really easy for us to write them off, if you will, because of that, as write them off as someone who really cares about Jesus or would be even interested about Jesus. But as we dig deeper in the scripture, we find that this guy had gone to Jerusalem, not on a business trip, but he had gone to worship. And so we know that he was, if you want to use the term, a God-seeking Ethiopian. There was a purpose that he had gone to Jerusalem seeking to know more about God or to worship God, and, and he wouldn't be a, a full Jew. But nevertheless, there was an interest that was stirring. Something was going on in his life. God was prompting something to happen within him. And maybe, maybe it was because something that was going on in his life that others may not have known about. Maybe he had experienced for some time a sense of emptiness about purpose, you know, all these responsibilities, but at the end of the day, there's this sense that, man, something's got to be missing. Maybe the pressures had really been getting to him. And he was worn out trying to be this, this strong person and manage everything on his own. But man, that was hard and that was taking a toll on his life. And he was burning out and struggling with that. You know, maybe it was the influence on him of something that had happened with a friend or a close close member. You know, maybe it was that his best friend just recently had been killed in an accident or a war. And that caused him to stop and wonder, you know, I wonder what happens when somebody dies. Is there something beyond this? Or maybe he did have the ability to have someone, a conversation with someone that began to prompt a question in, in his heart and in his mind. But the reality of it is for him, again, looking at it from the outside, the reality of it is for him, he wasn't going to find those answers in Ethiopia. He probably wasn't even going to find those answers in Jerusalem because the persecution was heavy and strong at that point and, and the people had been scattered away from there. And so, if anything, what he would have encountered was worship at the temple. It was taking him back to all of the things, the legalism and everything that had been there before. You know, back in Ethiopia, there wouldn't have been a study group for him to join and to get together with others and to be able to research that. So, in many ways, he's on his own from this perspective, but he's not because God cares for him deeply. And God has been drawing him to him and God wants him to know about Jesus. And so we're going to see this marvelous encounter today that God arranges to ensure that he does that because of his love for him. And so it is 
for you and me. We don't know how God is working in the lives of the people around us. You know, maybe they're struggling with some of the very same things, emptiness in life, questioning life purpose. Maybe they've been searching after all kinds of other things and it wasn't bringing fulfillment like they wanted. Maybe there had been something happening in their family that would really kind of just shook them up and made them stop and think about life. And we don't know that as we go into interactions with them day in and day out, but God does. And God cares for them just like he does for this Ethiopian man. What we also find in here is that his desire and his interest enough was such that he had a copy of the book of Isaiah and he was reading from there. You know, isn't that cool? Here's this Ethiopian going back and, and he's got Isaiah and he's reading and, and you, you see the passage specifically that he was reading out loud. And we might think about that in our situation as we think about today that, you know, maybe it's this person that's traveling and they're struggling and wondering about some of these things, but they're sitting in a hotel room all by themselves. And they open up the book stand and there's a, a copy of the Bible. And so they began to open up and at least try to find some passage to read to see if there might be answers there. Or maybe it's this young woman at college and she's sitting at the dorm or in her apartment and her life is, is not going well. You know, she left home, wanted to experience all of the things that may come uh, with the world, it's partying and, and all of the other things, but you know, that was leaving her empty and, and even feeling used. And so one night, she reaches over and pulls out the Bible that her mother had given her a number of years ago and had made sure that she took with her to college. And you know, she hadn't really opened it for a couple years even. But something that day was prompting her to do that. And so she opens and, and finds some passage in here that she's going, you know, maybe, maybe there's, there's, there's something here that can help me. They all need to hear about Jesus. But one of the things that we find in here is that God is at work drawing people to him. And he's doing that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing that in ways that oftentimes we don't know about, even if it's people that are within our circle, if you will. We don't know all the things that are going on. But God is at work, and he's doing that specifically in preparing this man for what will be a divine encounter during that day. And so we rejoice at what a gracious, loving God that does that. But now I want you to put you just a pause on this scene for a little bit. And you and I have the opportunity to look in on this from the outside and read it and, and with hindsight. But let's just kind of create the scenario that now starts to develop. So we have this Ethiopian man. He's in a chariot. He's headed home. He's got questions. He's struggling. He's wondering. He's seeking. Something's going on in his life. God loves him just tremendously and cares for him with great compassion. And meanwhile, on that very same day in Samaria, there's a man by the name of Philip that gets up 
to go about his normal day. And Philip, uh, it says, was, was up in Samaria. And, you know, again, the people, the, the initial believers had been scattered because of their persecution. And it says they took the gospel with them wherever they went. And so he ended up in, in Samaria. And it appears earlier in chapter 8, you know, he's, he's got a, a thriving ministry going on, actually. And he's impacting people's lives and he's probably busy. But nevertheless, he gets up that morning and we don't know what's all on his calendar for today. You know, maybe it's to do some more preparation. Maybe that was going to be a day of rest. Maybe he needed to go to the marketplace and, and get some food and supplies. You know, maybe he had some time set up for recreation. We don't know, but he gets up to go about his normal day and something amazing happens. It says in verse 26 that an angel comes and says to him, go down on this desert road that takes you south of Jerusalem. Doesn't even say why. But he's prompted that he is to take a trip. And so he does. It says he's, he set out. Now, he could have had all kinds of excuses. He could have said, my, my day's already scheduled. I'm too busy. Uh, you know, he could have said, I'm tired. I got all these plans. He, all kinds of reasons why not to respond. But he does. He responds. And so it is when you and I began our day and we go about planning and making preparations to do different things and activities we're going to be involved in, whatever, and there might be something that's prompting us to say that today's a day I'm going to have you do something different. And the Holy Spirit works that way. And it's easy for us to say, well, I'm too busy or I'm too structured. I got too much to do. I got these things to cover. All of these different, very practical things. But the question is, are we going to be responsive just as Philip is? Because God cares deeply about this Ethiopian man. And he's about to have an encounter with Philip. And so Philip, as it says, he takes off, heads on down uh, the road, and he meets up with an important official in a chariot. Now, we already know, because we've been looking in, who that is. We know that's in the chariot. Philip doesn't. See, that's the benefit that we get of being able to look in. He just, you know, he just goes up, here's a guy in a chariot, you know, now what? In the middle of nowhere. And it says the Holy Spirit prompts him and tells him to go up and be near the chariot. And so he does. Now, it doesn't give us a lot of detail, and I'm trying to imagine, you know, was the chariot moving at the time? And he's, you know, that would kind of be a spooky. You know, maybe they'd stop to take a rest, and, and he walks up. But as he does that, he doesn't just jump into the chariot, going, oh, geez, God's got something going on. And to jump in, notice how sensitive that he is to where this man is. And as he walks up, the Holy Spirit has now been drawing him into an encounter with the Ethiopian. Because God loves this Ethiopian 
and he needs to hear about Jesus. And he's going to use Philip to do that. And again, Philip doesn't understand that. But the principle that you and I can also take from this is that God is at work today just as he's preparing and drawing people to him. God is at work today preparing and presenting and drawing and prompting believers into situations where he's going to bring those two together in a way that only he can because this man needs to hear and he's ready and this man knows how to share and he's responsive and so he is. And so it is with us today, particularly those if, if we're believers, to realize that God has equipped us and, and given us the privilege of being able to share the gospel with people who need to know. And so it's a divine encounter. Philip didn't go out looking for him. The Ethiopian wasn't looking for Philip, but God brings them together. And so let's dig into what else happens during this wonderful divine encounter on this road. As it says, the man was sitting there and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip walks up to him. He hears him reading. And it would have been common to read out loud back then. And he hears him and he recognizes where that's from. And he simply asks him, do you understand what you're reading? You know, he doesn't come in with full force. He doesn't come in in an abrasive way. He comes in with an understanding that he needs to find out where this man is at. You know, he didn't come in and simply say, do you love Jesus? No. Or he didn't even come in and say, if you died tonight, where will you spend eternity? Now, there may be appropriate places for those conversations, but they're normally not conversation starters. But rather, he simply asks him, do you understand? And for us, it may be that if somebody has scripture that they're reading, uh, that's a wonderful place to start. It may be for us to simply say, just tell me what's going on in your life and give them an opportunity to open up, but it's with an intention. So the guy's response, and it's interesting, he goes, uh, do you understand? And his response in verse 31, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me? I don't understand that. What is your response if somebody is reading a portion of the Bible and they go, uh, what does this mean? Can you tell me about that? Uh, you know, is your first reaction simply to say, uh, how about those Vikings? Switch subject. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't really know. You know, it's an opportunity for us to be challenged to say that we have a responsibility as Christians to study and learn the Bible. Not that we develop a level that we can debate someone that's antagonistic and and quote all these things, or for that matter, be able to speak in Greek or Hebrew or whatever it might be. That's not the purpose. But rather, do I, do I take it as an opportunity and a responsibility for me as a believer to say, I need to know what God's Word says, not just for the benefit of my life, 
but also that I then may be used to share that with others as the opportunity presents itself. Because what he is going to point out to him in this passage that he's reading from Isaiah in the Old Testament is this points to Jesus. And so it is really the entirety of the Bible points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he's going to be ready to do that, but we need to have a basic understanding. So I encourage you, regardless of how much you have or have in the past, dedicate some time to study the Bible. You can do that uh, Sunday school. You can do that in Bible studies here at church. There's life groups. There's all kinds of opportunities. Uh, you know, I'm very, very, very bullish on Bible study fellowship, which many of you know I have the privilege of being part of. It's a wonderful place in a way to be able to dig in and study the Bible. We do that so that when someone asks me or someone asks you, can you help me? You say yes. And so he does. The, the, the eunuch, tell me please, is, is this the prophet? You know, who, who's he talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about him, you know, somebody else? He's, again, sincerely interested. This isn't a case that he's trying to shove something down his throat. He's sincerely interested. And so what does he do? It says in verse 35 that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about Jesus. Because that's what he needed to hear. God had been bringing them together since that day began. And now it's happening. And he's having the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with him. And so back to us for just a minute. And we're surrounded by all these people that God is working in their lives. Co-workers, friends, relatives, fellow students, professors, teachers, and government officials. All these, all these different folks. Uh, we don't know from our perspective how God is working in their lives. But he is. And maybe he's bringing you to together so that you might hear the gospel. And so are you in position to, to be able to share with them the basics of the gospel? It doesn't have to be all perfect words. It doesn't have to all be something that's memorized, but it can be basics. And there's all kinds of different tools that can be used to help you. But what he needed to hear was simply about, this is Jesus and this is God's son. This is the one that he promised. You see, because God loves you. God loves the world. He loves everybody in the world. But individually, we're talking about individual. God loves you. And God wants to have a relationship with you. And to shower that love and that grace and that care in your life. That's, that's who your father is. Remember that picture of the father? That's your father. But see, there's this problem in your life, and it's sin. And there's sin in all people's lives. And because of that barrier there, God can't have that relationship with you that's desired. But something marvelous happened. God, in his incredible love, instead sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross that your sin might be dealt with. Isn't that amazing love? Why? Because Ethiopian, God loves you. 
And he wants to have a relationship with you. But the only way he could do that is if Jesus died. But Jesus did, and he was resurrected. And he's in heaven. And because of what he did on the cross, there's now forgiveness for you. What you simply need to do is to receive God's incredible grace to you. Receive it by faith. Have forgiveness of your sins. And enter into that relationship that God wants to have with you. Ethiopian, all the things that you were struggling with early in the day, you know, all the reasons in the seeking, here's the answer. So how confident and how willing are you and I to share the gospel with the people that we are brought into contact with? And again, it might be the prompting to simply pick up the phone call and follow, call a friend or someone that you know that the Holy Spirit's prompting you. God's preparing this encounter and they need to hear it. And you have the gospel and they're going to hear it from you. It might be someone that you meet at the classroom. It might even be someone sitting next to you in church this morning that God has been drawing and they're seeking. But nevertheless, they need to hear the gospel. And what an incredible privilege for Philip to be the one to share it with him. And so it is that he gives us opportunities to do that as well. If, like Philip, we are responding to those divine encounters when God has set them up. Well, the man believes. We know that because it says immediately he gets up and, and he goes, there's water right here. Let's, let, let's be baptized. Let me, let me be baptized. And his enthusiasm and his excitement and his joy and and I'm sure Philip had explained to him is that once you've received Jesus, once you've had that, then one of the things that you do as an evidence of your commitment out of obedience is to be baptized. And man, he wasn't even going to wait until he gets home. He, he wants to do it now. He's fired up. Why? Because he understands how much God loves him. And so it is, it says that they get out and they go down to the water and Philip baptizes him. When they come out of the water, the Spirit suddenly took Philip away. And he never saw him again. This wasn't the beginning of a long-term relationship. This was a single divine encounter. But because of the responsiveness and the sensitivity of Philip to do as he was being led that day, the Ethiopian's life was changed eternally. So when he comes out of the water, Philip is gone. And it says that he went on his way rejoicing. Back to Ethiopia, but back as a changed man. He'd been seeking. God in his graciousness had brought him together. He had gotten up that morning seeking, wondering, maybe thinking his day was going to be no different than any other day. But God knew that this was the day that he had set up, that he was going to hear about Jesus. Philip gets up that same day, thinking he might go about all the other important things that are going on in his life, maybe having it all planned out. But God said, this is the day that I'm going to use you in a special and in a different way. And he's brought them together, and indeed, that's what happened. 
as they had this encounter, this man comes to know Jesus. So how about you and me? We're surrounded by people that don't know Jesus. We go to work with him every day. We talk to him in our neighborhood. We see him in the grocery store, at the, the clubs, or the different organizations we belong to. It might even be extended family. They don't know about Jesus. You know, increasingly, people don't even have a basic understanding because they haven't been brought up with that. But there's a desire in a heart. And God's going to use you. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's even today. There's going to be a little prompting that says, pick up that phone. Take a few minutes to connect with somebody and, and how they're doing. And then as the Spirit leads, the door opens. Share about the good news of Jesus. Maybe today, maybe this week is going to be the time that God will use you for a divine encounter in someone else's life that he loves so very much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminders that we see throughout Scripture about how much you love us and you love everybody in this world. And so as we see the, the wondrous joy that came into the life of the Ethiopian as he heard about Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be sensitive and responsive, that when we uh, are prompted by the Spirit to share with somebody, that we might humbly but obediently do that trusting that you're going to lead us, that you're going to give us the words to share. And in the process, your love is going to flow to that person as they hear about Jesus and begin a relationship with him. And we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.